Hello and welcome to the Hockey Assist a Basketball Podcast. Here, we give basketball fans a deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court or on the free agency lines with the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Riley Gaucher. Good evening, Mr. Cope, or I should say good morning, I guess, to you all the way on the other side of the world. I'm delighted to be back with you. Time zones are a wonderful thing that we are constantly maneuvering in order to find good recording times. Riley, you're, you're a working man now. How's the, how's the workforce treating you? I am. It's a, it's a mixed bag um, in, in both directions, mostly the positive direction. I really like my coworkers and I really like the office and, and company culture, I think, that, that's going on at my firm. I just was telling Nolan that I got to spend some time meeting the head honchos and the principals at our firm. And, and it was just like a cool experience because they seemed like pretty grounded and, and pretty, pretty good people, you know, all things considered. Um, and at the same time, the nine to five or you know, eight to five thirty, whatever I work is really starting to get to me. And it's only been a week. So stay tuned for, for, uh, you know, an update on how long I could last, whether it is indeed the rest of my life or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, to, to hear more about your journey, and I'm pumped for you, man. I'm pumped for you to be making these, these big strides, the, the important post-college things to, to think about and to take care of and figure out what journey you need to be on. And luckily, we have the uh, salve of sports to take away some of the pain of that nine-to-five makes a little bit more sense why there's a lot of a lot of uh, people out there, men and women across America who check out of work, go home and turn on the sports game. And that's their that's a lot of their night because sports gets to take care of us in a lot of those a lot of those cool ways. That's a that's a great way to put it. Thank you for the, the kind thoughts. And now I want to flip the question on you and ask what you think of your new students assuming that they aren't listening to our podcast. Yes, uh, I got some new students. My school's uh, new school year started this week, and I love my new students. I am super happy to be back teaching. Uh, I feel like I've been making good breakthroughs with all my classes. There's, as a teacher, you've got to earn the like trust and respect of your students. And that is... Uh, once you're able to do that and they then they're able to buy in to the lessons and the activities and your classroom atmosphere gets to be a lot of fun and uh, the learning gets to be uh, really, really exciting. And it's much easier to do with my sixth graders than it is with my high school class. But I feel like we're making important strides across all those uh, different fronts, It's which is... Uh, it feels good to be back teaching after taking two months off. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to shake off the summer rust, but uh, I made it and we're back and we're better than ever. That's wonderful to hear. I, I have a quick question for you. And I just realized this, do students in other countries, and I know you go to international school, which is a little, or you teach in an international school, which is a little bit more Westernized. Do they follow the same age uh, correspondence to grade level? Like does high school, start at the same time and and would a kindergartner also be five in, in other places yeah usually uh it's about the exact same age breakdown for the students uh, occasionally i'll end up with a sixth grader that's a little bit younger than sixth graders in our place but like or a student who's a year or two older could be one because some students have to start based off of their language skills which will put them a little bit behind compared to their age but the, for the most part, I'd say the uh, average age for each grade is about the same as it is in the States. Got it. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Well, without further ado, should we transition into the reason for this podcast's existence? 
We probably should. We probably, probably should. Yeah, let's, okay. let's talk about basketball. Uh, for our shoot around today, the uh, basketball that's on our screens right now is uh, not played by the NBA. There's actually been two forms of basketball consumption for us recently. The first, uh, I feel like we should mention quickly, should be the Olympics. I feel like the Olympics was was a big deal that led to a lot of really cold takes on the internet uh, that Draymond Green enjoyed exposing after that gold medal. And was also a helpful reminder that Kevin Durant is, in many ways, still the best basketball player on the planet. And watching Ooh. him, watching Ooh. him do what he did uh, in the Milwaukee series, and watching him uh, r- like run, like watching him be the United States offense on a team with Jason Tatum and Damian Lillard and whatnot, was was really fun to watch. Really fun to watch him do what he does. Yeah, tweet I saw a lot of was where would this team be without Kevin Durant? Um, now, not to not to like you know get too meta on live on the air, but Nolan, a topic that I've wanted to discuss with you this summer uh, has been who is the best player in the world and how would we rank those maybe top five or ten guys? So, listeners out there, maybe if if Nolan is game, you can look forward to that next week or, or in a coming episode of our our podcast. What's that? Does that sound like you? Sounds great. I love that. Because I have I have lots of thoughts, and and your your Kevin Durant take certainly has set my the wheels of my mind rolling. Well, we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to continue that conversation uh, when we when we get a little bit more of a chance. The other yes, form of so bas- stay tuned. Yeah, the other form of basketball that's been on our TVs has been summer league. Summer league, the place of hyperbole the home of uh, promise and potential both being found and lost, uh, but is a fun, fun amount of basketball. So taking a little bit of our uh, hockey assist lens on it, Riley, how much should we as basketball fans put, how much stock should we put into summer league games? Yeah, uh, so I, I, I kind of knew that this was going to be the question you were going to pose, and so I've been thinking about it a little bit. Um, and there's a, there's a great take that I've heard. I think it's from Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, who might actually be leaving The Athletic, for those of you who care. Um, and it, it, this was in regards to the G League, but his, his opinion is basically that G League stats mean nothing, but if you're bad in the G League, then there's no way that you could be a good NBA player, you know, basketball player, period. And so it's... It's one of those things where not necessarily dominance, but more than solid play, you know, really like meaningful statistics and meaningful impact on winning are a prerequisite to uh, success at the next level. And that's not to say that everyone who dominates the G League is going to be an NBA player or a good NBA player or anything. And, but it, it's, that it's really hard for someone to be a great NBA player without dominating lower levels of competition. And that's kind of the same thing that I apply to Summer League because I think it's a lot of the same sort of players you know there's clearly less structure going on and i think we should all be reminded that in the g league it really depends on on what a team is trying to focus on so let's say they've drafted a really you know high potential young big man they're likely to bring a, a veteran point guard or somebody who can set them up and, and you know as opposed to really giving the opportunity to someone younger more raw and, and trying to to find the best talent out there so i think with all those things being said it doesn't mean very much, in my opinion, but if you're not good in the G League, then I don't have very high hopes for you. And, and I, I'm really looking for the people who dominate at that level. And, and that's the guys I think we need to watch and see if they can then keep going to the next uh, stages of their career. Riley, I think this will be a good moment to... Uh, I have a, a statement to make. I have a statement Ooh. to make as a basketball fan. Uh, I have always been a person who has enjoyed the NBA and have not focused in on a favorite team like you with the Warriors Ah, (laughs) or like many uh, of our friends 
uh, many, many sports fans all, all across the country, all across the world. And I am ready to throw down the gauntlet and pledge my allegiance to the Houston Rockets. I'm saying it. I'm putting it on the record. Oof. I'm putting it on air. And I am saying that my favorite team in the NBA is now the Houston Rockets. And uh, I you heard I was, it here first, folks. You heard it here first. I, I was feeling good after the draft about the Rockets. And I was like, I could really get behind this. I could really get behind this. And after watching a few summer league games, it's official. Uh, I want to clarify that my new love and adoration for the Houston Rockets is a post James Harden era thing. So when you hear me say, I'm now a Rockets fan. It has nothing to do with James Harden or the tuck wagon or 27 straight missed threes. None of that. I was just a spectator. I was just a spectator on the wall. Yeah. I I know you get a little, a little half chub there every time I mentioned the 27 (laughs) missed threes and that's okay. But I think there's all sorts of ingredients there for me to really enjoy being a Houston Rockets fan. There is, uh, there are lovable young star potential players. Uh, my love for Christian Wood has long been on the record, and he is a this Houston is true. Rocket. This is true. Uh, I think Jalen Green is going to be a stud. Watching the the poise that he had in in summer league so far, and the developments that he made in playmaking and defense in the G League last year, his scoring has always been his main thing. And I am in on Jalen Green being a future All Star, uh, potentially even a future All NBA guy if all things turn out right. I loved the Alperin Sangoon uh, draft pick for the Rockets this year. And uh, he has been kicking ass and taking names here in the G League so far. And Josh Christopher, their other first round pick, has been a menace offensively and defensively. He's been a ball hawk, uh, lead guard defender. He's uh, taken over the offense in some critical moments. Uh, I love Steven Silas. I love what Raphael Stone has done to put this team back on the right track after the uh, Harden uh, torpedo that happened last season. So I'm in on the Houston Rockets. That's my that's my big basketball news uh, for the summer, Riley. I I don't I can't believe in in that glowing um, you know list that you just recited about the, the all the benefits and positive aspects of being a Rockets fan that you neglected my favorite current Rockets player. Well, I've never seen play in, in an actual game, but uh, that would be Usman Garuba. Uh, I think, I think his his selection was um, somebody that I had my eye on. Uh, every yes. every draft person that I listened to you know, could not tamp down the hyperbole to any level about this guy's defensive potential. And I think you know those those are people who really they do they do sell you know, sell clicks and, and get views by using, you know, uh, grand statements and big comparisons, but listening to the tone of Sam Bassini's voice and, and um, Kevin O'Connor and some of these other guys, I, I, I truly think that these guys defense deserved kind of generational hype that he was getting people to saying that they're the, he's the best pick and roll defender they've ever seen for a teenager. And he was playing in, in uh, with Real Madrid, I believe, right? In, in yeah. the Spanish league and in uh, the Euro league. And so I think he's just somebody that I've identified, you know, having watched a couple highlight videos, a couple breakdowns of his skill set, that I think there's, there's absolutely zero chance that this dude is not an impact player on at least that end of the floor going forward. And I, you know, we've seen a lot of people be compared to Draymond Green after, um, you know, after Draymond's ascension. And uh, there are some people who, who deserved a little bit of that and some people who is just, oh, they have the same kind of body type and same lack of skills in certain parts of the game. And that's why this comparison is easy. And a lot of those times, obviously none of that ever panned out because Draymond has, has a generational or even, you know, probably top five defensive, you know, IQ for this game, right? He understands this game better than almost anyone ever has. And 
I think Aruba has a chance to reach some of those levels, right? You know, to be as polished as he is right now makes me excited for the future and excited for you as a newly christened Rockets fan. I, I do want to want to say one more thing before I end this little rant, and that's I understand that you're trying to distance yourself from the history of the Rockets fans, but as somebody who I guess you don't know what it's like to be a fan of a single team, I'm letting you know now that it's impossible for someone to you know not take ownership of an entire team's history when you become a fan. That's what that's what this is about, dude. You have to, you know, you have to take responsibility or at least some some measure of of answering up for, for the sins of James Harden and the the strides that Daryl Morey made for the game. That's all that's all part and parcel of, of what it means to to commit to this game. So are you are you committed? Can I can I hold this? You can account, basically you okay, can good. you can hold this to the account and I, I'm willing to uh take on and then and shoulder <clears throat> I'm willing to shoulder <laughs> that burden a little bit here. Uh, what what I wanted to make clear was that I did not become a fan because of the James Harden fair, era. Fair, fair. I'm sure, becoming sure, a sure. fan uh, after the James Harden era, and much like a phoenix rises from the ashes, I am going to enjoy this uh, these next few years of watching my Rockets become. Uh, <laughs> playoff contenders in I'm, I'm so stoked for the next generation in the Western conference. Cause in a few years yeah. here, uh, the Clippers are going to fall down a few pegs. The Warriors uh, could potentially fall down a few pegs huh? Some, huh? Eh, with these new selections of, of the past two years that could, that could potentially be a different thing. But the trailblazers uh, falling down a few pegs as these guys begin to age out uh, of the superstardom for the Rockets and the Grizzlies and God help us please the Pelicans for Zion's sake. Yeah, the Western yeah. Conference is in really good hands. No, that's a great. That's a great point. Speaking of the future, speaking of you know what's going on do we want to bounce around a little bit in summer league and, and see if there's anybody else that's caught your attention uh i know who you want to talk about i, I yeah yeah so i i think it is i'll say that it's a bit of a shame that jalen suggs is on the orlando magic and not a oh. different franchise but go ahead and have a little bit of a jalen suggs moment riley sure uh i'll try and keep this brief when when the Toronto Raptors with the fourth overall pick passed on Jalen Suggs, who was projected to go fourth. And, you know, everybody seemed to think was clearly the fourth best player, or at least, you know, in a tier above everybody else behind him in this draft. I, I had a moment of, of unbridled, you know, optimism and, and hope and joy because I love the way that Jalen Suggs plays the game. I think he's a perfect fit for the modern NBA. I, I just love his skill set. I love, the way he competes on both ends. And I thought he was a perfect fit for what the Warriors were trying to do. And so I had a brief moment of, of you know, wishful thinking that he might fall all the way to seven. Um, unfortunately, the magic with the sixth pick, was that correct? They took him with the sixth pick? or With the fifth, with the fifth overall. Fifth, fifth, you're right. The fifth, the fifth. It was the next pick, yeah. They uh, crushed my, my dreams of, of sealing, seeing Jalen Suggs uh, in a Golden State uniform. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't still love the guy and, and really have amazing you know, high hopes for where he plays. He was he was one of those dudes that I've talked a lot about feel and, and fit on this podcast. And I think his feel is the thing that's going to set him apart going forward. Who knows if he'll be a, a number one option. Um, some people seem to think he, he won't reach that level. I don't know. I just know he's going to win. And I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah. We we each have our our Jalen crushes coming out of this this summer league adventure, and we know that we shouldn't overreact too much for summer league. But I think that perspective that you brought a little bit earlier of how uh, if a guy can bring it in the summer league, then he has a chance of bringing it in the pros. And I yep. I'm really really excited to see what some of these young talents do when the Pistons end up giving up on Killian Hayes. Hopefully that happens sooner rather than later, so they can let Cade Cunningham wow. cook the way that they you're, you're gonna they need to. Sorry, I'm sorry, but you're gonna you're gonna disagree with your Lord and Savior Kevin O'Connor in that way. Is that is that so? I think that Kevin O'Connor may have a bit of a weakness for French point guards. 
because the last okay. French point guard he was all in on was Frankie Smokes, Frank Nolakina. Oh. Okay. Who was just released from the New York Knicks for having an inability to play offense. Which is the same thing that's been said about uh, Hayes so far, right? He had a great defensive season and not much else, if I am remembering correctly. Yeah, and and Kate, Hayes is a guy that uh, plays at his best, it would seem, with the ball in his hands. Yeah. And... Uh, Cunningham is also that guy, and we I think we can all agree that Cunningham's ceiling is much higher than Killian Hayes. So I would love uh, t- for them to do some sort of like rebuilding trade with another rebuilding team, uh, try to send off an asset for uh, an asset sort of deal, maybe try to get a, a Jonathan Isaac out of Orlando or maybe try to get a, one of the young bigs out of Charlotte, but uh, Charlotte should be a fun team this year. I would honestly bet money on Charlotte making the playoffs before I'd bet money on the Chicago bulls making the playoffs. There's another bull out of summer league. I like, I like their young collection of talent. They seem like a bunch of fun players to play with. And LaMelo Ball is really, really good at basketball. And uh, I, yeah, I, I think that they, they are a team that has a chance to, for at the minimum, play in contention this year, if not on the higher end of the play in contention. Totally. I, I actually was listening to a podcast today, and they, they briefly talked about the kind of rebuild effort in Charlotte and the point that was made, which really I thought was salient to me, was the way that some teams, you know, with a Luca or um, uh, Trey Young, right, have have leaned into heliocentrism and said, okay, we've got the guy who can do it, who can make our offense go. We are going to surround him with shooters in the LeBron mold, right? We're going to make this a Luka ecosystem, a Trey Young ecosystem. And the Hornets took the opposite tact. They've, you know, got a lot of people who can pass, who are, who are more than complimentary players. They're secondary ball handlers and a Gordon Hayward in a Terry Rozier, Um and then uh, I can't remember who they drafted this year, but you know they, they just have they've added players that that you know whose whose skill set technically overlaps, but you can never really have enough passing is something I believe. And I thought that was just a great kind of dichotomy that somebody pointed out, and we'll see which strategy ends up being the uh, the most fruitful going forwards. Yeah, uh, they they grabbed uh, James Booknight. Booknight. Oh yes, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to. Uh, exactly uh, pronounce that, but he's another guy with, like you said, those playmaking chops who uh, will have a lot of fun on the court with a guy who can pass the way that LaMelo can. Exactly. Exactly. Now, unless you've got any other summerly thoughts, do you want to Nolan, move on to the main topic that we want to discuss today? Yeah, there there's a debate that a lot of NBA fans want to have out there uh, NBA Twitter is con- has been consistently aflame with this conversation every free agency period for the last um, few years and that is the question of tampering capital T tampering okay and so because it is a, a bit of a, a conversation that affects the NBA as a whole. We think it's a perfect thing to discuss here from our bird's eye view at the hockey assist. So Riley, why don't you go ahead and break down uh, what brought this to our attention and why we are uh, bringing it up. Sure. I'll I'll try and set the table and then we'll, we'll see what what you have to say about all this. Um, Basically the NBA's tampering system works to prevent organizations from meddling with a, a player who's under contract with another team. It's, it's, you know, it's basically the idea that you don't want the Lakers or another high power organization sending, uh, you know, uh, a representative or, or back channeling to the player, to their agent and communicating and, and negotiating deals far in advance, right. Which would prevent a player's current team from having a chance to resign them if they don't have the, the right money or the right situation to offer. And it, it would be unfair basically. And so the thought is that the, the way that 
the NBA wants to do this is they create a moratorium, um, which means that deals and, and contracts can't be discussed even before that point. They have rules about who can even speak about other players. You know, sometimes uh, coaches are, are given a little bit of leeway because they have to ask answer questions about uh, players that their team is going to play against. But in general, general managers and, and other representatives of the organization are almost forbidden entirely from talking about uh, another player, unless your name is Magic Johnson, and in which case you wink at the, the TV cameras on Jimmy Kimmel Live and uh, mention Paul George's name and then are, are subsequently fined. Um, and so the, the NBA strategy has been to, you know, find people and, and if cases are really serious to take away draft picks. Um, there, there really are two kinds of tampering. Um, that we're starting to see uh, the first being, you know, that, that meddling that I just discussed. Uh, and then we also have uh, gun jumping, which is the problem that when the, the cowbell is, is rung or the auction bell, I'm not sure what the right and a, uh, simile is to make there, but when that bell is rung for the start of free agency, we get Woj bombs and Shams bombs that happen within 30 seconds of when teams are supposed to be technically, according to the CBA, allowed to negotiate contracts. And so it takes literally two brain cells to rub together for someone to be able to tell that there's no way that any of these deals could have been agreed to and, and the structure worked out and all this if they had started when things were legal. Um, you know, Famously, Mitch Kupchak, um, uh, formerly the Lakers and now the Hornets, was one of the very few general managers to play by the rules, supposedly, and, and not negotiate with free agents until it was his turn to do so. And that resulted a lot of the time during his tenure on missing out on great players. And so basically it's a wink and a nod that everyone's going to do this, but they just won't get reported until right when free agency opens. And so the NBA has recently started the crackdown and some sign and trade deals with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich going potentially from the Kings to the Bucks last year. And that, that deal being forced to kind of uh, dissolve by the, the threat of punishment for tampering and then, this year, they're investigating the Kyle Lowry sign and trade for, for having happened uh, inappropriately and, and uh, against the rules. So does that kind of clear up? Is there anything else you want to add to our kind of current understanding of, of what tampering means? Uh, I, one of my recent favorites is one of those things that not only are Woj, not only is Woj and Shams uh, putting their tweets out 30 seconds into uh, free agency, but Woj has started to do the thing eight hours before 12 hours before it opens where he's like, yeah, sources are saying that the uh, Chicago bulls are nearing in on a trade for Lonzo ball. And it's like, he's just doing the same thing he did with draft picks. Yeah. Word yeah, gymnastics yeah. to say that there is an agreement happening because he needs to break the Tom's, news. Or sorry. Yeah. Because he, he needs to break the I news. Think, I think, yeah. He goes uh, for it. The uh, I guess the like minutia minute take on this is if you're ever like in for you know looking for something fun to do, look at the different euphemisms and uh, double entendres that that Woj uses to kind of link things. I, I swear the man has a a uh, thesaurus next to him, and it's just it's fun to watch. Like you said, the the um, the written gymnastics that he, he has to go through to try and report all this stuff. It's, it's one of my favorite things about the NBA. Anyway, sorry, back to the, the issue at hand. So the, the most important question here is because, because like you said, everyone with two brain cells rubbing together can see that these things are happening that shouldn't be happening, that are against the rules of the NBA. The NBA has two options in front of themselves. They could crack down even harder and do what they can with punishments, fines, loss of draft picks, nullification of contracts in order to uh, get this train back on the tracks. Or the other argument people are saying is get rid of the rules, let there be communication 365, and then they can only be made official for like contract and financial reasons on a certain day. And so today we are going to try and uh, answer that question a little bit. Should the NBA 
crackdown in the uh, efforts of fairness, or should they let things go a little bit more of a laissez-faire approach and see what happens? That's, that's, a, that's a great summary. Um, so my, my personal feelings uh, are a little complicated in this because I'm someone who just, you know, from a very young age has an incredibly strong sense of justice and like fairness and that's mattered a ton to me um even in, in situations where it really wasn't the most important thing or or even really mattered at all like that that sense it just has, has sat with me and bothered me and, and meant a great deal to me and so i've been kind of on the train that i for a while to say that you know i think they should should hammer these guys they should they should you know ma- I, I was pissed at magic when he did that and he was clearly leveraging the the attention and the star power and the reputation of the Lakers to, uh, you know, try and recruit someone who was on their team and, and who still had to go out and play and win games for that team. Um, and it was, to me, it was, it was pushing the boundaries of what I even consider like good taste. You know, does that, does that make sense? Um, it does. And, and so I, 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 as I've stated on this podcast quite a lot, like I have a, a soft spot or at least a, a kind of moral uh, naivete when it comes to small markets, right? Like I really, I, I believe in their cause and I believe that they are kind of a soul and the the thing that this league needs to do to, to save itself from becoming kind of the worst parts of European soccer, right? Or, or from becoming, you know, just, just something that no one believes has any integrity. And so I, I personally have enjoyed it when the NBA takes actions um unfortunately you know it happened to two teams that i really think didn't deserve it in the bucks and the the kings uh, last year and this kyle lowry thing you know i don't think it affects that many other people but the problem is that that the fines are not severe enough and i don't think that there's a there's a fine out there that you could really levy that the owners would agree to first off right that, that would be significant enough to curtail this behavior and i think draft picks is certainly like a, a punishment but i I don't think we've ever seen a first round pick taken away, right? It's been been seconds and stuff. And so I, I tend to think it would be really interesting if we saw Adam Silver follow the letter of the law and even in beyond that, right? Like the spirit of the law, any deal that was agreed to and announced and reported on within half an hour, you know, or some timeline where at least we could have plausible deniability that people were following the rules. And yet all of that being said, I think that's a pipe dream, right? Like how realistic is it for anyone to ever prove that there was communication like we can all know that it happened but like is is that is that possible and so that's where i understand the the tough spot the league is in and to be fair they've backed themselves into their corner with with choosing this set of rules and set of laws but i i get exasperated and i i almost want to throw my hands up and say no just just let it all happen because there's no way to control it what do you think yeah so i've thought about this Obviously, we were talking about this in uh, on our podcast today, and I was wondering to myself, similar thing that you were wondering, which was what type of fine could be instituted on a team that would affect them in doing this, you know? And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking you would need to go after the owner because ultimately the general manager and uh, the players – are all playing on a team that the owner owns, right? And so if the owners want to take all the sort of responsibility that they do take for this league, oh, revenue and making money and whatnot, like those are their priorities over players' uh, wishes and players' demands in certain uh, times, then you need to go after the owners and their revenue in order for there to be a significant change. Like if you said... If you instituted a rule, if the NBA instituted a rule that said any team caught with a a reasonable chance of tampering will have 5% of their revenue that they make that year docked and sent into the league office, then owners are going to sit up and take notice. Owners are going to sit up and take notice and they're going to say to themselves, to their general managers, they're going to say, we can't risk this. The first team that it happens to, the second team that it happens to, all the other owners around the league are going to say, I'm not going to be that person. I'm or, not going to Or to lose. revenue sharing, maybe. 
yeah, I'm not going to lose uh, millions and millions of dollars here. So I think that that could be a solution. I always like providing concrete solutions. Going after the revenue of these owners, I think, is a concrete solution that would be a trickle-down effect through the franchise to, do, to not do things like this. I, I think that's a – oh, I'm sorry. Do you have no, more? Yeah, chime in. Chime in. What do you think? I think, I think that's a, a fantastic answer. That's one of the – I really love that you bring concrete solutions because we could, you know, philosophize and opine about this all day. Um, I think the question for me about this, and not to even say that I'm seeing this as a negative plan, it's just everything in the world incentives, right? And to me, the question is, will a gen- the penalties have to be harsh enough that the incentive is no longer for the, the general manager to seek that competitive advantage that you can get by negotiating early, right? Like if, if there's an assumption that everybody else is going to cheat. And so if I don't, I'm, I'm behind, I'm, I'm playing at a competitive disadvantage and I'm, I'm basically setting my, my team up with a handicap that, that pressure on one side, right. Has to be balanced. And so maybe, you know, revenue is the right way that you go about that. And then the question becomes, is it 5%? Is it 10%? Like what is strong enough to hold those general managers back to, you know, literally pull on the reins and say, you know, it's not worth it enough. Whereas, you know, that, that one team that is somehow able to get away with it, right? They have a massive advantage in terms of the players they can negotiate, things they can offer the, the leverage. Because, you know, contracts and free agency is largely about leverage, right? So that's the thing that just comes to my mind is, how do we find that balance point? In, and does that balance point exist? Do you, do you believe that it exists? I, I do believe that it exists. And I believe that it exists because we have seen time and time again that owners do not want to be losing money from the NBA teams that they've so, owned. True. You know, uh, light years ahead, Lacob, like you like to call him, has said <laughs> in years past, that spending after he purchased the team, that spending money will be no problem, right? We will spend however much money we need to compete for championships. And we have seen him pull back from that in recent years, despite the fact that the Warriors, of course, are higher over the tax than any other team. He has slowed down a little bit on that in recent years and is not paying every expense to go way over the tax like he'd previously advertised he would. So if one of the most gung-ho spending owners is starting to curtail back a little bit there, these guys are owners for the uh, clout that it brings and for the money that it brings. And some of these NBA teams are worth billions. So if you start to shave off five or 10% of that, uh, you are going to really see them start to freak out a little bit. And if, and if the league follows that up with every deal that's announced within a minute of free agency is going to be thoroughly investigated by of, of those certain teams, you know, and not having a paper trail on that way is going to be really difficult for those general managers to pull off. And so if you back up that amount of revenue loss with uh, maybe draft pick loss as well, maybe personal fines and tougher investigations, then I think you can pull it off. Now, the biggest problem with my plan here, this uh, revenue docking plan, is that it would need to be agreed on by the owners and the players. And it would be agreed on by neither the owners or the players. It would be a, a one of those uh, doomed uh, laws, one of those doomed bills that just gets uh, obliterated the first time it goes to floor on, on the vote. So I know that this solution would work, but I don't think that the league office has enough power to make it work. And so I think in the bigger picture, solutions that have the gravity to make things work are so negatively in would so negatively influence teams and players alike they would only be protecting the nba product in the minds of the nba league office that i don't think any solutions uh, with enough gravity would will be will ever be put in place yeah no i think that's a great point and i have i have two things that segue off that really 
really well. So I'm, I'm trying to decide which one to lead with. But I think to me, it, it ends up being a question, this whole discussion, right, is it's kind of moot if, if this doesn't affect interest in the league and it doesn't affect, you know, the product. You, know, you mentioned the product, right? Like, it's really up for ownership and, and the league office to decide that is this such a, a burden on the marketability of the league, on the integrity of the league, on whatever, right? Like, or is it really just us nerds who actually you know, follow free agency minute by minute who have tweet notifications on for the newsbreakers? Are we the only ones who really care? And that's not something either of us can answer. But I, I think it's a fascinating question that maybe the, the owners, even if they you know, agree that this might not be the best look, Maybe they say, we don't care. It doesn't really matter because it's not costing us anything. And for who knows, you know, like they might prefer the product that, that it exists this way. I think the other thing that you kind of mentioned about how it's really hard to implement any strategies and, and paper trails specifically, uh, kind of comes to the other nuance that I didn't mention about tampering earlier, which is that NBA players cannot tamper. It's, 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 there's no... Uh, part of the CBA that they could punish them for it. They are, they're allowed to talk to anyone, say anything to anyone that they want at any time. And I think a lot of that has come about because one, it would be impossible to, to prove who said what in the court, right. Or who hung out. And like a lot of these guys are friends, you know, across franchise lines. They, they spend summers, um, they spend summers, you know, playing together, working on their games together. They, they've grown up together they they have those relationships and it's almost impossible and i'm not sure the nba even wants to be in the business of policing that sort of conversation and, and that sort of relationship and, and recruitment that happens we know because you know draymond called kevin durant in the parking lot and and the banana boat is a, is a, a real thing that we've seen result in, in some of those players playing together and so all of all of that leads me to my point you know, where i i fundamentally end up on this is that it's kind of ridiculous that the players can do whatever we want and can act as agents of their organization if if that's the the way it needs to happen but then the organization is banned from from doing this and so as much as it like doesn't sit right with my my sense of justice i think i have to be the one to say that we need to just give up the pretense we need to stop even worrying about it and stop complicating the situation and just let it become a free fall because it basically already is right the clippers sent a representative to every single 2019 toronto raptors home game i believe it's just as, as a reminder to Kawhi that this team and this possibility was out there nobody's ever accused them of directly tampering and breaking the laws but to me that that's so far past the line that is directly influencing the decision making of a, a soon-to-be free agent on another team and i thought i was a little bit gross but it's going to happen and it wasn't even against the current rules. So that's where I end up is like, why bother? It's already going down. We might as well just embrace it and, and turn it into the free for all publicly that, you know, de de legalized tampering basically is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately have to agree with you on this one, just in that, like, uh, like, like we've covered, no punishments they have in place are working. No punishments they could put in place would ever be accepted. And because it's almost a free-for-all, I feel like the the point that I'll add to what you're making, so I'm not just re-summarizing what you're saying, is that the the league's attempts to make other significant changes are undercut by the fact that these tampering rules exist and are stomped all over. You know, if the NBA what ever do you mean won, by that? I'll, 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 I'll elaborate if the NBA ever wants to crack down a little bit more on technical fouls, okay. It would be a good example yeah. of like a, like players today are getting away with uh, way too much of bitching and uh, yelling and berating referees on every single play you watch some of some of these players play some of the lebrons and the lucas of the world complain every single possession that there was a foul called or not called you know and so the this is a problem that the nba probably wants to solve but if they start to go about trying to solve a problem like that they are taking away some of their credibility because there are other rules that exist in their structure that are stomped all over and uh, run all over. 
like the tampering rule. So if you were to go to the players association and say, we want to start instituting this uh, technical fouls rule, they could say either directly or indirectly, well, you know, uh, we get what you're trying to say, but like, we don't really take you very seriously because there are other rules out there that you have that you're willing to look over uh, them actually being enforced. So why don't we just keep this one from being enforced? How about that? And the NBA is never going to get anywhere on those. So I think it could be healthy long-term for the NBA to make it known like players can kind of be negotiated with whenever. Here's the official financial date of free agency, you know, and uh, then they could have a little bit of that extra credibility, a little bit of that uh, extra clout to make other changes that could more impact uh, the game in, in those sorts of ways. I, I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. And to me, that's so closely tied with the transition in leadership between David Stern and Adam Silver, right? We, we have seen uh, Adam Silver get a lot of deserved praise for the way that he handles things, his, uh, what seems to be emotional intelligence and empathy and, and uh, just pretty broad, like, good reading of, of the trends and, and stewardship of the league. Um, but there are people who hearken back for the days of David Stern and firm punishment, right? When the league's office power was absolute, when it wasn't, when his ability as a commissioner to, to shape the direction of the game was unquestioned and, and he, there was more control, right? And I think this is, this is just such a perfect example of, of the, the decision, I think, that's, that's happened at the, the commissioner's office's level to to at least enable or you know not not fight back against player empowerment and you know kind of see the 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 stardom and the the face of the league to the players you know of course they've always been what draws people right but but the league office used to have a real reputation for for ham-fisted punishment and and for absolute control over the product and you know, dress codes and all that. And I think some of these changes have been, been great and positive and needed, but it's also, I get the sense that as Adam Silver has kind of embraced this new direction for the league, we've seen antiquated rules trying to hold on to this former structure, as you kind of alluded to, right? Like, might be better for everybody if we, we embrace the future. And it makes me a little sad because I'm someone who doesn't deal with change very well, but but it's probably for the best because... I think the Pandora's box has been opened, right? Like this, this new paradigm of, of who's in charge of the way the league looks and how it works. It's, I think it's over, right? It's, it's done. It's, it's the player's hands and the star player's hands. Yeah. And we've seen a great example in major league baseball of a sport that has been unwilling to modernize its rules and unwilling to uh, modernize its systems. Right. And they are now kind of way behind in the public mind uh, as a sport that uh, mo- began to modernize too late and more in the little too little too late section. So before the NBA gets to that point where they are handcuffed by all of these things, it's okay for the league to change. I think Adam Silver is great for the league in a lot of ways and not as strong of a commissioner in a lot of these same ways that David Stern was. David Stern ran a tight ship. Teams followed the rules. And now under Adam Silver, an expectation has been created that those rules don't need to be followed. And in those cases, if it's not going to absolutely destroy competitive balance, then it might be good to get rid of those rules or uh, whatnot. And unfortunately, the the league is stuck in a place where they are worried about that competitive balance, you know? And I think taking away outright tampering, like... To give the counter argument, if you take away the tampering rules, then all of a sudden you're going to have the big market teams courting the small market guys who are currently battling for a four or five seed in March and are getting approached by the Los Angeles Lakers or the Golden State Warriors saying, hey, you could do so good on our team. Like, why don't you force a trade this trade deadline? Or, hey, you do so good on our team. Like, you don't need to give your all and uh, fight for this fourth seed second round exit with this small market team. Instead, you yeah. can just like, keep yourself healthy and we'll reward you this summer, you know? And that's, and so the, I, that's the counter argument. 
No, and I think that that brings up a, a really fascinating point that it could kind of be an entire podcast unto itself, but I, I really want to touch on it for just a second. And that's the idea that like, is this league, is it selling transactions now? Is it, is it so focused on what the future could be? That's like what drives excitement, right? It's Zion's potential. It's who could be on what team next year? Who, what could this team look like now that free agency has happened? The, it feels to me like there's been a, a shift in, in what really drives clicks, drive views, drives attention for the NBA. And it's no longer who played well last night, who's playing on my TV right now. It's all about the future. And I just, I worry that maybe pulling our hands completely off the tampering and, and creating the environment exactly like you said, right. Where, where those stories are even more prevalent, right. It's we, we get that sort of news coverage today because people care about it, obviously, but, would would that shift the league so far out of whack? That's the only thing that matters, right? Is is who's being courted and who's being quote unquote legally tampered with now? That's my only concern with this this whole you know deregulation that that could happen. Is is will that poison the well a little bit of uh, of what is supposed to be the foundation of this league? And I think frankly, is not anymore. It's it's the transactions. It's the Twitter. It's the the speculation that really seems to drive people's enjoyment of basketball and maybe that's just me being an old man on yelling at the clouds but i don't know how, how do you see that i think you just mentioned the thing with that topic which is twitter yeah. right a huge portion of nba fans today are on nba twitter this concept of nba twitter right which we mentioned on this podcast at least in jest once an episode, but occasionally more yep. often and yeah. more seriously. And for NBA Twitter, the league is driven by transactions and rumors yeah. and subtweets of disgruntled stars. And like a, a thing on that NBA Twitter does is people will go onto these star players' accounts and look at the tweets that they've liked and then post those as like an example for how that player is is feeling to fuel that rumor mill. And so I, I believe that the NBA still has the other parts of its product available uh, to bring fans in. For anyone who watched the Milwaukee-Brooklyn series or for anyone who watched Trey Young's Hawks uh, go on a little Cinderella story, for anyone who watched the NBA Finals or the Phoenix Suns just rampaging through the Western Conference – right? Or the Terrence Mann games for the Clippers. This league still has so much to offer uh, from its on-court product. And NBA Twitter, I think, actively takes away from that. And so I think that might be, uh, uh, like you said, a conversation for a, a, a bigger time. But getting that's why... Uh, I think I finally come down on my final decision. You can't get rid of the tampering rules because if you do, oh. it will start to turn a little bit more into this, like uh, into this free for all where kind of dirty things happen amongst, uh, amongst a uh, player courtship, these things that feel dirty to us. If they're at least by yeah. the letter of the rule, I, so then I think the NBA is stuck. I think they should try to increase the restrictions, I think that attempt will end in failure. But uh, I think that they need to attempt to keep a semblance of control in place. Otherwise, uh, with the player empowerment that is now uh, so powerful in the NBA and so useful in a lot of ways, will end up resulting in a tampering all-out war. And I'd hate to see Tamper Palooza. Tamper Palooza. What, what's, so wait, what's, wait, what, what's your, what's your final thought, Riley? Well, before, okay. Before we, before we go, that was just like a, a massive reversal. You know, was there one kind of part of that discussion that changed it for you? Like, you know, because I believe you were agreeing with me maybe 10 minutes ago that, that we should give up and, and let it all rain down. I, I think I was agreeing with you. And then I think I started uh, talking about what the end, what the NBA would look like if NBA Twitter was the NBA. Ah, yes. Okay. Okay. For sure. And so I think, I think the part where I talked myself out of letting go of the rules is that 
Tamperpalooza that just dilutes, that actively dilutes the on-court product. Because right now, tampering is kind of like a joke that happens for two or three weeks in July. But if yeah. tampering became a 365 thing, I like these teams are not above active courtship midseason. You know, if that no, was, I think it's is going to be point. what gives and them that competitive advantage. Maybe so. Maybe the the kind of devil's advocate argument to support you in this this claim is that that's a part of the calendar that the NBA shouldn't technically have any ownership. The sports calendar that that Bill Simmons loves to talk about, right? And yet they managed to steal attention away from the only sport that's actually playing their games in baseball. They managed to to become more popular than training camp for the NFL for one day. And you know, Roger Goodell is a figure that I, I wanted to bring up previously, but I think we have to cut short because he's an interesting kind of counterpoint to the the laissez-faire or, or uh, woke to to you know use a derisive term that I don't necessarily agree with kind of rule of Adam Silver um, who has had success. But but oh, I, I completely lost where I was because uh couldn't get Adam Roger Goodell's face out of my head. Um, it's 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 a face that uh, sits there for a while, eats yeah, away a yeah. bit. The, Smug. the Roger Goodell counterpoint. Oh yeah. Okay. So so basically, like you know, maybe maybe the NBA being relevant after the finals and for summer and for a couple days, maybe the current paradigm is actually a really good thing, right? And and maybe you would by removing the rules dilute some of that attention and marketing free marketing that they basically get right in a in a in a point of the calendar when they, they don't technically have any reason to be drawing attention my my final point though and and where i end up is is kind of still how i've talked about this for most of this episode and, and that's just kind of an exasperation with the the literal logistics of of enforcing tampering rules right we only we only know about a lot of this stuff because screenshots and, and text messages are being sent to the league office and i think i'm sure that that if we really saw crackdown agents and players would be savvy enough to just have a phone call to just meet like deep throat style in, in a parking lot and and uh you know whisper whisper these these sort of transactions to each other via via untraceable methods if, if it was really that serious you know and so i just i don't think i personally have faith in the nba's investigation ability and and then therefore i think like we talked about you know punishments will never get severe enough to be um, anything more than toothless and so i'm glad that we disagree about this this is, this is really you know good podcast content i i hope for those of you that are listening, but uh, I tend to think that it's time to do away with it at this time to open it up the free market because we're, we have a shadow market going on and it's time to bring that into the light. Yeah, I, I agree. I, en- I enjoy podcasts where we're able to disagree and able to come down on, on different sides of things. And in this particular conversation, both of us are correct. Yes. Right. Like, yeah, like, not, like neither of us, it. Neither of us is egregiously wrong here. We're just arguing two sides of a really undesirable coin, right? But I, th- I think yep. I think we 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 came to a, a good spot there at the end. I think uh, I don't have anything else to add for myself, and I know I have Fantastic. to I have to start teaching here soon. Yeah, well, so then that's the that's the cue for us to wrap things up and, and to pose that question to you out there listening. Uh, we haven't had any fan feedback in a while, so I don't know. No one will have to give me the update. Maybe we're down to zero, uh, zero followers, zero downloads, and, and we've talked your your off, and you've all shut us out. But in the case that that's not true, in the case that you're still there, we really appreciate you for tuning in to the Hockey Assist. We we both have a great time recording this, and if in for some reason you don't know where to find us, we are on literally every podcast app uh, out there. So so please like, share, subscribe. And uh, all, all the things that the, the content creators love to, to request from their fans. Uh, we, we appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your support. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you next time. Uh, remember, you can always reach out to us uh, at hockey underscore assist on aforementioned hashtag NBA Twitter. Uh, we, we look forward to engaging and, and seeing where you guys come down on tampering if you do have thoughts. So uh, without further ado, for Nolan Cope, I'm Riley Gauthier, and you're checking out of episode 20 of the Hockey Assist. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.